Well, I have to tell you, Lord prayed, played a trick on me today, or this past week, I should say, the past few days. And um, he gave me a phrase that perhaps will come up later, but I thought it was going to be the whole message today. And in this last worship song, about the second half of it, he began to tell me something else. And it was very heavy. See, the whole time in the last few days, I've been thinking, oh, this is awesome. And you'll, you'll see when, if he brings the title up, because I have a screen for it. You'll see what I mean, because I thought, you know, this is something that I'm passionate about. This is something that this world desperately needs, that each of us desperately need. And I thought in seeing it, perhaps, that not that we're beyond some of the heavy words, but because I know, I know they'll, they will never be beyond that, but that it would be something else. But it's not. I have one question for you, though. What are you passionate about? I want you to think about that really, really seriously. Because, see, what we're passionate about is what comes out of our lives. Not just when we're standing and giving people our best. But every moment of our life, the difficult times, the times when we're out of our comfort zone, the times when we're facing things that are very difficult for us to deal with, those are the times where you really see what your passion is. And see, what Jesus has been telling us the last several weeks is your passion has to be Him. It has to be Him because what He is about to do will crush you if it's not. And I'm talking specifically to those who are called at this moment in time to do what He has told us to do. I know we have, we have several guests here today, and you may not know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the readying of the bride. I'm talking about the point in history that we are at right now where the bride, those who know Jesus as Savior, become ready for Him. See, as I've said before, it's not that things will get so bad in the bride, so bad in the church where the church is so disconnected, all the, all the churches basically hate each other unless they are associated with each other. They're very competitive with each other. It's going to get so bad that Jesus is finally going to say, all right, I need to go get them. Let me ask you something. Would you marry somebody like that? I don't know about you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that you would. If you would, what would happen? 
probably be divorced pretty quickly. Right? Because you're marrying for the wrong reasons. Jesus doesn't want us to love Him because He can provide for us. Jesus doesn't want us to love Him just because He can move us forward in a career or move us forward in this life or fix my red truck. (laughs) Right? That's not what He wants us to love Him for. He wants us to love Him because of who He is. Because of what He did. See, it just blows my mind, even now. And I know what he did, but it blows my mind to even think of what he did. Really, think through this for a second. Imagine you are God. Imagine you are part of the Godhead. You are part of the Godhead, the Son who created all things. Who literally created men and women. You created them because you wanted fellowship with them. You wanted love from them. You wanted relationship with them. That's why you created them. But see, there was a trick there. Because the truthfulness of love requires something that God cannot control. You you with me? See, you say there's nothing God can't do. There is one thing God cannot do. And it's because of the very nature of who He is. The very nature of Him is love, and the very nature of love requires a choice. He gave us a choice. He gave Adam and Eve a choice to love Him. And in that choice, there's clearly a danger. was for Adam and Eve, and it's been passed down to every one of us. But see, it's in that choice of choosing Him that real relationship can be birthed. Okay, so again, let's go back to the scenario. Let's say you're, you're, you're part of the Godhead. You're the Son. And you have this creation that you wanted to have relationship with you, and now has sinned. See, there is a righteous aspect of who you are. There is a righteous aspect of who God is that cannot allow to look, even look, upon sin. So then he had a choice. He had a choice, and that is to just destroy his creation and maybe try again. Although the same parameters would have to be there. Or he could insert himself. Listen to this. Or the son could choose by his choice because it was the father's will to insert himself into his own creation. To be born of a woman. Not be born in sin because he was not born of man. If you look in Genesis, it was Adam who sinned. Because Adam was not deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. So Jesus was inserted into the very creation that he wanted to have a relationship with. 
for the purpose of paving a way. Paving a way to repair what had been broken. Paving a way that through faith they could have that relationship still. And he lived 33 years on this life. And in this life, lived as a man, had to build faith as a man. Had to undergo every temptation that is known unto man. It wasn't that he came here in 33 years, he had this easy walk because, you know, yeah, Satan can tempt him, but he, he's God. God can't sin. Guess what? That's true. But Jesus had to learn that by obedience and by faith. That's what it says. In his word, he learned obedience. He learned faith in who he was. And then he gave that life for you and for me. He defeated death. He went down with the very keys of the abyss. Because, see, he purchased them with his blood. And because death could not hold him, because he was perfect, he had already conquered death. He rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And he sits right now at the right hand of the Father. So see, what he went through is ongoing, because when he rose from the grave, he did not become what he was before. This is something most Christians don't get because they think, well, yeah, he died on the cross for our our sins, rose from the grave, and then went right back to where he was before he ever became a man. That's absolutely untrue. He is still a man. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. But when he walked this earth as a man, he never acted as God. Do you understand that? He never acted as God. He only did the will of the Father, the Scriptures say. Only did the will of the Father. By the way, that's what He does now. Because the Father said, sit here at my right hand until, until I will make all your enemies your footstool. And then there is a time where Jesus will come back As a man. He's still a man. He will be a man for eternity. That's why he didn't lift up his own name when he was raised from the dead. But God, the Father, lifted his name above all names. Above everything. He's to be worshipped above everything. So if you paid that kind of price... If you gave up what you had as your relationship with the Father. Because you were a spirit. You were God. You were, you were the Trinity. But you then place yourself in a human body for eternity. See, the Bible doesn't say that everything went back to how it was before. We know some things never change or did change and will never change back. 
Because, see, he was given a glorified body when he rose from the grave. In fact, he said, this will be what you get. So unless we all get to be omnipresent, which isn't true, neither is he. See, he limited himself for the sake of his bride. So if you did all of that for the love that you had for these people that you wanted relationship with, tell me, would you just go get them when things got so bad that you can't stand watching it anymore? No. No, what you would be waiting for is for the bride to begin to understand who she is. For the bride to understand what was sacrificed for her. For the bride to understand that in this life, you can have relationship with the Father. Just as Jesus did. See, Jesus didn't come and walk this earth so he could show us how to avoid sin. Honestly, guys, that's the easy part. No, what he did is he came and he walked this earth to show us how to have relationship with the Father through him. Because in showing that, he could teach us how to then have relationship with them. Because he said, I am in the Father. And the Father is in me. If you are in me, guess what? You're in the Father. You can have relationship with Him. That avenue is opened up. And so what's He going to do? He's going to teach His bride how to be ready for Him. How to have relationship with Him. How to know Him to where both sides are finally to the point where we can't stand it anymore. Please come. It's time. We're ready. And He says, I can't stand it anymore, Father. They're ready. Let me go get them. See, that's how it's going to happen. But there's a road between here and there. And that road begins with passion. It begins with what are you passionate about? I love it when young people come and visit. I love it because we don't have any young people here. I'm kidding. We have about 85% young people. You know why I love it, though? Because young people get it. They get it. They understand what being passionate means because it just oozes out of their body. Now, maybe not always in the right direction, but they will find something to be passionate about. For me, when I, when I was younger, I, I was passionate about sports. I loved skateboarding. Hate to admit this, but yes, I was around when it was invented. Thank you. <laughs> I skated the first skate park there ever was made. I lived two towns over from the Lords of Dogtown that literally took skateboarding and made it an event. I remember seeing on TV these guys that would get thrown in jail because they'd go jump in somebody's pool. Because right at that time, 
It, it was in the in the mid seventies, early seventies, right around there. Sorry, yes, I'm old. It was right around that time that California was having a big drought, so nobody could fill their pool with water. So these guys would jump the fence and go in, and they'd skate the pools. See, I was passionate about that. I remember making my first skateboard, wanting a downhill skateboard, and thought, well, the longer I make it, the faster it's going to go. So I made one about six feet long. <laughs> a little faster than I thought. We had this hill. I can't even remember the name. I think it was called Tamarack. I can't, can't remember the name of the hill. But it was really high. And at the bottom of it was a busy intersection. Okay, I'm sorry, but how stupid do you have to be? But what goes above stupid? Passion. Passion. Thank you. Thank you for that. No, what goes above stupid is passion, something you're passionate about. So first time I'm going to try this board, I'm up top, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. I point it down, I get on it, and I, I get going as fast as I can, and I'm just crouched down, and I get to the bottom, and, and see, the bottom had a decent length to stop, but not when you're going about 40, 45 miles an hour. And I, I'm down and I'm thinking, I'm not, uh, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do now. And, and I see the cars, of course, in California, they have more cars, I think, than anywhere in the world. And all these cars are going like this, and I'm heading right toward them. And I thought, on my right, on, on the left are a bunch of parked cars. I thought, well, if I hit one of those, I'm really going to hurt myself. On the right, there's this big ditch. And I thought, if I hit that, I'm really going to hurt myself. But then I look ahead and I thought, if I hit that, I'm really going to kill myself. So I thought the worst of the three was the ditch. And on the other side of about, literally about a 20-foot ditch, it was about 20 feet wide or so, and probably 10, 15 feet deep, I thought if I hit it just right... I could jump over and land in ice plant. Now, in, in California, there's this stuff called ice plant. It is literally like landing on a cloud, except you get wet because it's, it's, it's a cactus without the spikes. It, you hit it, and it just smushes into water. And I thought, okay. I thought, well, here's my chance. So, so I had enough flex in my board to where when I hit the edge, I just jumped as far as I could. And I more than made the ice plant. I almost made it over the ice plant. And my board was demolished. My brand new board that I spent so much time making. But the point of that is what? And, and by the way, I walked out of that thinking, that was awesome. <laughs> that was so awesome. I can't do it again because my board's broken, but that was awesome. Why? Because I was passionate for it. I was passionate for it. It didn't matter the cost. It didn't matter the time I had invested. It didn't matter any of that. What mattered was that I had passion for it. I loved it. I wanted to do it. There, there was nothing more important to me. I think you understand what I'm saying because each of you have passions for different things. When you become so passionate about something that nothing will keep you from doing it, 
First of all, that right there is the ingredient for so many successful people in this world. How often do you hear that no was not the answer? No, they would not accept no. They would keep going. You know, if, if you're in any, any kind of sales job, that's the first thing you're going to hear, is get used to no, and don't let it bother you. Well, when you become passionate about something, it, it, it's like you don't even hear no. I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said, but let me tell you about this again, because clearly you're not getting it, right? Because you're passionate, you want it. That's what Jesus wants for his bride. That's what Jesus wants for his bride. That his bride will literally give him every piece of who they are. Not, not categorize that I'll give them, you know, I'll give them Sunday morning, or I'll give them Tuesday night, or I'll give them this piece or that piece, or, you know, I give them ten minutes in the morning. And we, we have a pretty good relationship. See, I get that because I was there. I've been saved for 47 years. I, I get it. But that's not what he wants. That's not a ready bride. A ready bride is one sold out to him, period. How many times have you had a friend that becomes your best friend? Or perhaps a spouse that becomes your best friend? Alexis, my best friend. But how many times in that relationship do you test that relationship? I won't even go into it. How many times Alex and I tested each other, especially at the beginning, to know really who each other was. So why are we surprised when he tests us? Why are we surprised when he asks us to do things that don't make sense? Not at all. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Matthew 10, verse 26. Jesus is speaking here. I'm speaking out of the ESV. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. In other words, what I say, what I say to you in private, speak. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will follow the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me, and get this, verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
He goes on to say in verse 34, he, he tells the mantra of why he came in the first place. Do not think I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me state something here that is not obvious but is very important. This is not talking about those who are saved versus not saved. Like if, if you're not saved, then, then you are not acknowledging Jesus, so you will not be acknowledged before the Father. Versus if you are saved, now all of a sudden you're going to be acknowledged to the Father. That's not what this is talking about. As most things in the Word of God, there are layer upon layer upon layer of meaning of what he's talking about. Because in a very general sense, that's true. When you stand before the Bema Seat of Christ, it will be because you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, and Jesus said, yes, they are covered in my blood. They are mine. They have accepted me as Savior. But there's something much, much deeper to what that is talking about, and it is about relationship. See, when you build relationship through Jesus Christ, remember, He then acknowledges you to the Father. I'm telling you this because I've lived it. I know it from experience, not just from pages. But these living pages have breathed life into my life. When I acknowledge before men, before women, that Jesus is my best friend. He acknowledges me to the Father. Hey, He's my best friend. He acknowledges the relationship and He helps to build that relationship. He's doing this for a reason, which is what He stated beginning in verse 34, I've come to bring division to this earth. Not division amongst the bride. Guys, got that one wrong. If we thought that's what it meant, then wow, we're doing really well. Problem is, that's not what it means. It's supposed to be the division between the bride and the world. Not division between the bride and the bride. So he's saying, you've got to have relationship with me, so then you will have unity when I bring this sword. Because, see, you need unity. A ready bride will be unified. Period. 
She will be. So then, as you begin building relationship with Lord, and you start hearing his voice, you start understanding his voice, he starts making these pages of his word literally come alive, which is what they mean, God breathed. By by the way, let me explain that a second. When it talks about scriptures are given by the inspiration of God, that that they're God-breathed, okay, I know for... 45 years or whatever it was, or 40 years, I used to think that, well, yes, God just breathed it out and the people wrote it down and that's how they were breathed. No. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm saying it's breathed out continuously. They're breathing now. The Word of God breathes now. It's current as you read it and as you develop relationship with Him, then you will understand the breathing of God's Word. It will not just be words on a page. It will be Him sitting across from you having a cup of coffee, telling you how He feels. They come alive. See, and we're at a time in history... Where verse 34 is coming alive. See, he's bringing a sword. He's bringing a sword. So now we're at a time in the bride where there's going to be a choice. There's going to be a choice to give him our hearts in relationship or not. Don't think that you're going to be able to go on after this. Well, no, I'm not going to do it. And think you could go on like you have. Times change. They are changing now. He is calling you now. He's saying, be passionate for me. Be passionate for Jesus Christ. You want to be passionate for something? Be passionate for Him then he starts to infuse all the other passions that he wants in your life. Problem is, when we start to build relationship with him, then we don't mean to necessarily, but we put parameters on it. Right? We put parameters on it. Well, this is how it's going to look, so I'm going to look for it to look like this. You know, this is what I see by, by the pastor, or this is what I see by so-and-so who's on TV, or, 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 or so-and-so who I, I see on the Internet, and I, clearly they love the Lord. So that must be what my relationship's supposed to look like. So I'm just going to mimic that. It's not what he wants either. See, he wants real relationship with you. You have a different piece to play in the bride. Each of us are a piece. Each of us are a different piece, the Bible says. We're all different members of the same body. We all have separate functions. So that's why the relationship has to be personal. So sometimes he asks us to do Things that are different. And you can put up that slide now. This is the phrase he gave me. Will you be a fool for me? 
I want you to think about Jesus asking you that question, will you be a fool for me? What does that mean? What does that mean? I, I, I'll tell you a quick little story, and then I want to get to some scripture in this. The other day, we, uh, we had a court case, and, and we finished the court case, and the court case was awesome. It was awesome. But afterwards, the group of us that were part of this court case, we, we, we were told to go before the Lord. We had a reason to go before the Lord. I won't get into that, but we went before the Lord, and we, we did what we were supposed to do. We talked, whatever. We got what we needed to get. And I don't know where it came from. I, I think the Lord impressed it on me, but, uh, but at the end, I just, I just said, Lord, I said, what is it that would make you happy right now? So what would make you happy right now that we could do, not something that we can't do, but something that we could do that would make you laugh? I shouldn't have said laugh. (laughs) But I said, what would make you happy right now? And immediately, the words came to both Shannon and I, the same exact phrase, dance in worship before me. Well, neither one of us said anything right away, because I think both of us were thinking, okay, well... I hope the Lord comes up with something else. But he didn't. And so, (laughs) now, okay, uh, we're not the best dancers in the world here. Clearly, I'm not. But were we willing? And so if you can imagine a group of people all deciding we're going to be fools for the Lord, turning on a worship song and dancing to him. Praise God, there was no video. (laughs) But see, that was our hearts. That was our hearts. We're passionate for him, so so it doesn't matter what we look like. Close your eyes. (laughs) It all looks okay when you're dancing like this. You can't see anybody else, and luckily no mirrors to see yourself. But see, most Christians would say, wait a second, he would never ask you to do that. He would never ask you to do something that would make you look like a fool. Let me ask you something. Where do you find that in the Word of God? Are you reading, like, maybe a different Word of God than I am? Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 4. Ezekiel chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 4. Okay, this is, this is the father talking to Ezekiel, who, who was a prophet over Israel. And we're going to read, let's begin at verse 4. Then lie on your left side. This is God telling Ezekiel to do this. This is not a metaphor, guys. He's not saying, okay, I want you to think in your mind that you're going to lay on your side. Okay, so it's this big metaphor, and then, then you'll understand, and you can tell Israel. It's not what he said. It's not what he said. Let's, let's see what he said. Then lie on your left side and place the place of, place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. First of all, ouch. Okay, bearing the punishment for all of Israel, Ezekiel was supposed to do that. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days. 
I don't know about you guys, but, okay, let's just assume for a second, because it doesn't say, let's assume for a second this is just at night, when he goes to bed. Okay, okay, that's possible to think about that, right? How many toss and turn in here? Yeah, okay. Okay, so it had to be more than that. Because he's telling him, for 390 days, equal to the number of years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have, this verse 6, and when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you, a day for each year. And you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. (laughs) Think about that. God's like, I know you toss and turn. Don't worry. I'm going to tie you up. (laughs) I'm going to tie you up so you can't move. Don't worry. Imagine Ezekiel's thinking. If he wasn't so in tune with the Lord and relationship with the Lord, he'd be thinking, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't be asking me to do this. Doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. Turn to Hosea. Chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 2. Hosea was another prophet, a minor prophet. When the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Let me, you know what? Let me just read through this because this whole story is absolutely insane. It really is. But I want you to picture yourself in the times that these were, the Lord asking you to do this. Would you do this? And the Lord called, and the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break a bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Okay. You think that's bad enough? Didn't end there. Verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, said to Hosea, Call her name No Mercy. Boy, that's a tough thing to grow up with. No Mercy. Call her name No Mercy, for I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. You can imagine, she's probably like, please, no more children. Please. But she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, this is verse 9, And the Lord said, Call his name not my people. What do you call that 
for short. <laughs> not. Come here, not. I don't know. Not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. What he's saying here is this is my judgment on a people that did not want relationship with me. So see, he asked Hosea something that was weird. It was crazy. Did it make a difference? No, it showed what was going on. It gave Israel an opportunity to see what God was saying because they were not listening. If you think, well, that must have been accepted back then. No, that's the whole point. Is that it wasn't accepted. Turn to Joshua, chapter 3. I'm going to go through a few of these. Joshua chapter 3 verse 8. And as for you, remember at this time, the children of Israel, right? They're ready finally to go into the land and take the land. This is after the 40 years of wandering and all that. So verse 8, and they're they're on the, the banks of the Jordan. And as for you, command the priests who wear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. You ever think, why did God do that? Why didn't God just say, hey, when you wake up in the morning, the Jordan is going to be dried up so you guys can just go ahead and go on over. Why did he make the priests go and stand in the water? See, there's always a cost to everything. There's a cost to our faith. And you ever notice how often our faith or or what God is saying will happen doesn't happen until the 11th hour? Like literally right before midnight. And boom, it happens. That's the example here. Go and begin walking. Step into the Jordan. It's not going to move till you get there. It's not going to move until you get in and you, your priests are wet with the water. Because at that point, the Jordan will know that it has to separate because of the authority I've placed on you. And that's what happened. I, I won't read this next one, but you know the story. When they do cross the Jordan and they come up to Jericho and, and God said, Hey, I'm going to give you Jericho, but guess how I'm going to do it? I'm going to have you march around Jericho silent for six days. Once each day. Just be silent. Then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. Again, being silent. Until the very end. And at the very end of that seventh time, they'll blow the trumpets. And then you shout. All the people of Israel will shout. And then the walls will come down. And then you go in and you take the city. Can you imagine if Joshua did not have a relationship with the Lord, him trying to explain that to his generals? You know what? You're not going to need that sword 
We're not going to need that battering ram. In fact, we're not even going to have to deal with the walls at all, except to climb over the rubble. <laughs> Think about it. They look at him like, dude, it's, it's time for you to just go take a nap. Because, see, that doesn't make sense. Why would God say that? Why would God do that? Because that's not in the natural sense of how things work. But yet God did. Another one, I, we won't turn there, is Moses in a basket. <laughs> Can you imagine being a new mother and there being a decree that your new son was going to be killed and God doesn't tell you to take him and flee. God tells you, put him in a basket. Put him in the river. And think about that. I mean, forget the fact of where he goes for a second. How about, Lord, please make this basket waterproof? <laughs> I mean, that'd be the first concern is you push it off and it just sinks. But she did it. See, she knew what the Lord had told her and she trusted her Lord. Why? Because he said there was a calling on Moses' life. She trusted in that. The Lord asked her to do something that was out of the ordinary. It wasn't normal. It was strange. God could have said, you know what, hide him in the back room because I'll hide him and nobody will ever find him there. God could have said that. and You know what, that would have made more sense. It would have made more sense that when the soldiers came to try and find him, they couldn't find him. That would have made sense. But it wouldn't make sense to put him in a basket, put him out on the river, and let the Lord take care of him. But that's exactly what happened. I do want to read one last one, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. This is Jesus calling the first four of his disciples. I'm just going to read here. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all, toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they both began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in the other boat, who were partners with Simon. And Andrew was with him. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Think about that. 
They had businesses. Now back then, when you have business with your father, and by the way, by the way, James and John, I believe, were cousins, so this was a family deal. This was a big family business. The four of them were part of this family business. And yet, when Peter recognized that this was the Messiah, and Jesus said, I will now make you a fisher of men, they left everything. How often do we say, well, you know, he wouldn't do that. I have this really good job. I have this really good job where I can make lots of money and I can do all kinds of things for Christ. You're missing the boat. Because there's nothing that you can do with what he gives you that he can't do through you with you just saying, do whatever you want to me. If you just say, I recognize you as the Messiah, I want relationship with you, I will step in that passion toward you, he will then ask you to do crazy things. Do you see? It's a prerequisite. Call it a test. Call it what you want. I don't know. Don't really care. But he's going to ask you to do things that you wouldn't think he's asking you to do. That wouldn't make sense in this world. I wrote, I wrote this, um, these phrases here. God would never, dot, dot, dot. Can your walk with him, what, what would you fill in there? Well, God would never do this. To me, God would never have me do this. God would never have me do that. I wrote a few down. God would never send a team of Americans to a hostile country and make them step in harm's way. God would never do that. God would never want you to quit your job to get you ready to serve Him. He would never do that. God would never want you to tell people to leave an already small church. God would never ask me to leave my business and family without knowing the future like he did the disciples. See, in order to be a fool for him, you have to be sold out to him. In order to know his voice, You have to have a relationship with him. In order to be the vessel that he wants you to be to literally change this world, there have to be no parameters in your way. None. None. Remember what he said before, that he sent as a sword to divide even father, son, mother, daughter. There was no division that he would not make if it came before him. So what do we place before him? What do we put in front of him? 
You can answer that in your own lives because all of us have something. Or we've gone through that process of him revealing what it is so we could give it up. And by the way, I'm not talking about him being unclear on something. He'll be clear. He'll make it so clear. If you trust him and your heart is passionate for him and wanting to go after him in relationship, guess what? He will make it clear, period. You may not listen. You may let it be hazy because you don't want to receive it. That's a different thing. But he will be clear. Just like he was clear to me when he said, shut down the business. That was before I heard his voice like I do now. But I knew in my heart, he had confirmed it in his word. I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I can't even tell you how I knew it. But I knew it. I knew that's what he wanted. Because he needed a step of faith to me that didn't make sense. What about your family? What about your mortgage? What about your debt? You know, what about, what about your kids? What about your daughter who is not even quite halfway through college? What about all that? See, those are things that I could have said to him, or I could have said, you've got all those things. If you're telling me to do this, you've got every one of them. And I'll give you a perfect example of my daughter. Because, yeah, after that, after I did that and was obedient, we couldn't, we couldn't afford to pay anything for college. Couldn't afford to do anything. But those next two years of college for her were the best years of seeing her grow up and grow in relationship, her own relationship with Christ. That was something I couldn't dictate to her. She had to learn that herself. And it was, it was my obedience and Alexa's obedience that forced that on her. Which, by the way, that's how it's supposed to be with parents. Not that I try to manufacture that for her. But I show her how to trust the Lord, no matter what. See, and we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We didn't know if she'd be... I mean, the Lord said, you're still going to go to liberty. Okay, well, that's 30 grand a year. Not sure how that's going to happen, but he said it. We trust it. We believe it. She was able to get some scholarships. She got two jobs. And guess what? God got her through it. God got her through it. And at the same time, he showed her how much he loved her. And how much she could trust him. See, these are the choices we have to make that make no sense. Now, I'm not saying manufacture that choice. Don't go out and do something just because, well, I'll pick this and I'll do this because this is stupid enough. God, this is really dumb, so I'll just do this. No, that's not what I'm saying. Please. I'm saying, listen to the Lord. Don't put parameters on Him for what He's telling you to do. 
Just listen. He'll be clear. Don't worry about that. He'll confirm. Don't worry about that. But he will require faith. It will not make sense. Lastly, I just want to share with you that you can only do this by understanding who you are in Christ. When I made this turn in my life, it began with understanding who I was in Christ, who I was to Him. Because you can't understand what's available to you in relationship until you understand who you are in His eyes. See, we know that He sent His Son. It was the Father's will. That's what blows my mind. It was the Father's will that Jesus was willing to do, to give His life, to have that separation that had lasting effects. It was His will. So Jesus was willing to do it. It's one thing to say, that's how much He loves me. Or that's how much He loves mankind. But it's another thing to say that he would have done that just for me. See, until you're to the point of understanding that he would have done that just for you, then you don't know his love. You don't see yourself as he sees you. Because he loves you desperately. He loves you so much he gave you a choice. To love him. He's not forcing it, but he gave you a choice. I want to read this. This is from the court case that we were at the other day. Sometimes in the courts, the father will just say not guilty, and other times he'll make a statement. This statement was for this girl, but it was for all of us. And that's why I want to read it. I want you to understand that this declarative statement of her being not guilty, this is over his bride. This is over you. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, this is over you. This is over me. This is understanding how much he loves us. This is what he said. Are there no others who could stand against my daughter, the one who who had gone to court? Are there no others who can triumph over his blood? I find none. I find none with the strength to withstand his purity, talking about Jesus. I see no hand that can rise itself above him. I hear no sound of a name that can rise itself above his. My son's blood is absolution in this place. I have lifted him above all things. I have made his enemies his footstool so that my beloved would not be touched, not blemished, nor tainted. Talking about the girl who went. Neither bruised or deformed or missed happen by hands that are not mine. His blood has set you apart. 
My verdict is pure and true. My freedom, sure. You have been given the power. You have been given the authority. I render my judgment upon you that you will be clean, that your verdict will be not guilty, that none would dare look upon you, for you are my special possession. Let your enemies tremble and fear over you because of the blood that has been poured over you. I will have victory in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and praise you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. I thank you that you have paved a way through your Son for us to be before you in relationship. You have paved a way in building this relationship for us to be before you without blemish. I pray you infuse that passion upon these people here. That passion for relationship for you. Because when you're at the head, then you can be at the head of many. It doesn't have to be church competing with church. But it can be one bride coming together, united in relationship with you and in love with each other, which are the very two things that you have commanded us to do. I pray that you speak to hearts this morning. And I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. When you look at the whatever you want, Lord, on the screen, um, you know, how many times have we heard this message about relationship? I, I find that it's, uh, it's never really enough. And one of the things that the Lord impressed so heavily upon me, it was so interesting, you said that at the very end, that you really need to know who you are in your own identity in Christ. You know, we know the familiar verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That, those two words, in Christ, is I, I feel like the, what it takes so long for believers to really understand. As believers, if we are in Christ, then every single Thing we do, way we interact, is in Christ. Because Colossians tells us that everything consists of Jesus. So, I want to be certain that the voices of deception that continue to try to speak in our lives, certainly speak to some of our family members, that what Greg is talking about in this sold out whatever you want, Lord, is not 
some message of conformity to some mantra that some church called Ignition is about. This is about what is the normal, expected releasing of the old things, letting them pass away and becoming a new creature in Christ, if you're a believer. What does that mean? That means that if God, even as he calls you to your job, to your education, to your things that he's called you to do, those are in Christ. There isn't a separation. Whatever God has you do within his will is in him. Even your circumstances are in Christ when you are walking with Christ. So really the question is just being certain that you're doing what God wants you to do. But then within that question, not doubting that he may ask you to do something Ezekiel next crazy, Hosea next level crazy. And we forget, we forget those familiar passages in the word of God. Because the religious spirit has so permeated, especially this nation, that we think that if the Christian life isn't boxed into something that makes intellectual sense to us, to our comfort zones, to the parameters of what we understand, that it couldn't possibly be God. And I I, I do feel like I want to share one quick um, little testimony of something that many of you saw Tuesday night. When the Lord released to me um, the gifting of ecstatic prophecy, okay, it's one of the one of the the manifestational gifts of the Spirit in the in the prophetic. You see it all through Scripture. If you if you don't understand it fully, I do highly recommend the book Stacy Campbell wrote called Ecstatic Prophecy. Well, I will tell you, in surrendering to that gift, there was a real challenge. And Greg and I went for a walk the other morning, and I was talking about. How much has to be relinquished with the operation of this gift, at least for me, in it being so far beyond my understanding? Number one, just um, being certain that any time God is speaking through me in that way or in any way, even preaching a message. You know, you want to be certain. If you've ever taught a Sunday school class or preached, you want to be certain. Lord, take over my mouth. Don't let it be me. But in an ecstatic release of God's word where he is speaking first person every single time that I feel the presence of God coming on I often pray Lord just this has got to be you this has got to be you because I I so don't want it to be me there there can be this fear that I just don't want it to be me I don't want it to be my emotions I don't want it to be part of my subconscious coming forward influenced by something other than you well it's interesting that no matter what direction I go with how he's wanting to use me. And this is just one example. It kind of bleeds out into all parts of the, my life and the way God is using me. But in this, in this example, Tuesday night, I specifically said, Lord, have mercy on me again. Because, you know, sometimes you have distractions and focus issues and things. And I was like, Lord, have mercy on me that I need to ask you to take over. I always pray this, but for some reason I was I was so because of the distraction in my day and what had come against me, I, I said the words, Lord, I need you to just absolutely I give you my will, I give you Holy Spirit, I trust that it's you, and I give you full permission to literally possess me to give whatever you want to give, if it is your will. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, so I, so I, want, I, was, I was wanting the comfort zone of the confidence that it was him, okay? 
But in wanting the confidence that was him, there was still a sacrifice of a comfort zone. Because in order for it to be him, that full takeover, that meant that all of my um, capacity to be perceived normal and poised, okay, and without blubbering emotion, that just went out the window. So as you know, if you were there, when he came, it was a complete takeover. Um, I had no feeling up in my arms. And even at the end, when he left, uh, the, the, my back started seizing because of the intensity of the shaking that was internally, it's really a very difficult thing to describe. But my point is, no matter how I prayed in wanting the comfort zone of it being God and being right, and you know sometimes we're like, Yes, Lord, okay, if you're going to use me, okay, can you, can you do it this way and then do it this way and then I want to just make sure of this because I need to make sure it's this. Of course we test the spirits and we're certain of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sometimes we pray these parameters that will make sense to us because we fear things outside of what makes sense to us. And the Lord was like, look, if I give you one, knowing it's me, the rest of it you got to give me too. Which is that you're going to be up there and you're not going to be certain of what's going to happen to your body. If you let me take over because his presence, his, the glory and the manifest power of him coming through ecstatically in first person is just an intense situation in, in my case. So, yeah. so I, I remember thinking the next day because I didn't know what all was said until I had heard the recording um, because it was such a, such a takeover. It was so difficult when I listened to the recording of what he said, even though I was so wanting to hear what he said. And the Lord reminded me again, you've got to release to me the fact that you would prefer to stand poised, articulate, not shaking, you know, not with, with the whole, you know, losing of to this day, I am on a mission to find waterproof makeup in my eyes. I just, I got to tell you, anyway, that's a side note. But the Lord's like, you got to give it to me. you got to give it to me and trust me yeah. that what you want, this, what you want around you for a feel good is got to be given into my hands. Yeah. And that is how I will flow purely through you. And so whether that be our finances, tithing, our relationships, whatever it is, if it is not placed fully in his hands, he can't, the more I give him, the more of a takeover, and it can rock you. Now, he may not come in that full measure. As I grow in the confidence, he may not need to completely, you know, cause me to feel like I need to see a chiropractor when he's through with me. It may not always be that way. But are you willing to just get yourself out of the way, even when it's uncomfortable? And he's still working with me on that. Um, whether it be, now, obviously the Lord gave, got over this with me in second, I remember in second grade, the fear of, of speaking in front of people, because that was an issue of many, 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 you know, my childhood. For some of us now, maybe that's your issue. You'd rather just faint than, than speak, you know, in front of a crowd. Whatever that is, will you surrender it? Will you surrender, surrender relationships? Whatever it is. So it's not a conformity. God will sift, will challenge you, will grow you in a very unique way. And so um, he's just, he's not going to call every single person to Nigeria. Right. Okay? So it's not about this um, ignition does this and are you sold out enough to do what ignition does? No. It is, are you sold out? Are you enough in tune with the Lord 
to give him absolutely everything, no matter what that looks like for you. There are examples of that that are given here. But it's the same. One of the most extraordinary things the Lord told us in the end of that court case, right before, right before he told us to dance for him, which was just, it really was sadly hilarious. But (laughs) if it brought a smile to the Father, that was wonderful. Um, But he said something that was significant, and I, I thought, why is this? He said, thank you for being the only ones that will believe me. He said, this won't always be the case, but right now there's just a few of you. My first, when I first heard those words, I thought, wait a second, we're not the only ones sold out. I know there's people, there's just so many people sold out. It wasn't that. He was acknowledging that what he has revealed about the destroyer, about the Washington Monument coming down, and other things that have been spoken from this pulpit, the the unique path, he's like, thank you for believing me of what I've called you to do. And the reason I say that is because he is telling some of you right now in this room online, he is saying things to you that nobody else may believe that God is calling you to. Nobody else. Can you imagine? Who Who can you really talk to like Hosea? If, if I mean, it, those are really way out there, you know. Like, who, what, what friend do you call and say, the Lord spoke to me and said <laughs> to do this or to lay on my side or all these examples he gave? Sometimes you just have to know before the Lord... It will be proved out. Do people get false words? They do. You have to test the spirits. You have to know the Lord. And right now, obviously, the bride is, is heavily about demonizing that if it's an odd word, then it can't be of God. That's, that's very difficult. It's very challenging. Because on in the human realm surface, it, they may have a point. So sometimes you're called to do things. And you know what? God is faithful. That's why I often quote that verse, for I know whom I have believed. I know if if he if I am seeking him with a pure heart and I get a false word, my life's going to prove that out. Yeah. And I'll I'll realize, woo, okay, that wasn't you, God. But I trust him enough to step. So it's not just about doing what somebody else is doing. Please understand that. That's just a, that's just an easy criticism to give to give uh, you know your life for ignition. It's about you knowing. That God is calling you to something, and however extreme, it's got to be obeyed. And when you're a plower, and Bryn beautifully spoke of this in the ladies' class this morning, you know, when, when you're first plowing through, how many things in this world that we enjoy, that are now normal, when it first began, cell phones, things that were invented, when they first began, were very unusual, resisted. I remember the story back when, when the, the, the argument of putting seatbelts in your cars was first introduced. The car, car makers just thought, this is absurd. We will never do this. Nobody will buy a car if they have to strap themselves into a seat. How absurd. And, and yet it's, it's so normal. It's now a requirement. Somebody had to plow for some of these things. And so who's to say what's unusual? That can't matter. We don't look around us. We just get this part straight. And let let the rest be on God. Because guess what? You can't control the outcome as much as we try. 
We are responsible for the obedience, not the yeah, outcome. That's right. The outcome is on God. And that's true of your finances. If you tithe, if you give, if you uh, surrender in relationships, if you protect yourself from certain relationships and you feel like there's going to be a, a, a damage, a collateral damage, that is on God if you're obedient. Yeah. He will, he will um, take care of your life. He will care for you and, um, and take care of the outcome of your life. So I, I don't want to preach another sermon. I apologize. I just, um, I just want to encourage you because, man, this is such a good word this morning. Dig, dig into those examples. If you ever feel crazy, go to those books. Go to those scriptures mm-hmm. because it will really help you uh, to see that, um, first of all, it may even reveal to you that the religious spirit is, is knocking at your door a whole lot more than you think. If you find it hard to step in even little ways, um, you know, we just don't know. So praise God for that. Um, I want to just encourage you to be on the prayer call.